0: Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives,
1: shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the
0: magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Hi, everybody. It's Lindsay and Krista. Best friends best on the couch. Best friends on the just couch. Just like every other podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally. The <laughs> on a couch.
1: Oh, what man. do you mean? It's so good to see you. Welcome. Welcome. If you're new to Almost 30. Hello. Hi. We are real best friends. We are business partners. And yeah, this was started when we were just navigating a time that was so confusing mm-hmm. and hard. It was our Almost 30 time. Now we're well into our 30s, but we really pride ourselves on supporting you all in your transitional periods, uh, especially that period as you're entering your 30s, which is known as your Saturn return in astrology. And today on
0: the podcast, we have Sarah Kubrick, the millennial therapist on the show. She's Dr. Sarah Kubrick. She's millennial.therapist on Instagram, and she has the book. It's on me. She came in person to be with me, and we had a fucking... <laughs>
2: Did you just I don't know silly. what kind
0: of mood I was in, but I was, we were... <laughs> Having a lot of fun. It was, this is such a fun interview. She's so interesting. She's so cool. I read the book before she Mm -hmm. came and I loved it. I thought it was so interesting. And, you know, so many people now with followings are writing books, us Mm -hmm. and everyone else. And so sometimes I'm always like hesitant. I'm like, okay, like, uh, but I loved how she added, like, philosophy in there. She has her own vibe. Like, it's cool. a very unique, grounded perspective of, like, history and Dostoevsky and all these different things. That I was like, oh, this is, like, dope. Yeah. It's, like, a dope way to bring things in. And she tells a lot about her story and stuff like that. So the book is called It's On Me, which we talk about today on the show, which is just which is interesting. How old is she? She's – I don't actually know.
1: Not I know that it matters. Kind of... But when you say millennial therapist – you know I'm what? Like... I had a judgment. Totally. I was,
0: like – there's something about that where I'm like... It's like 25-year-old life coach. You're no, like... No, literally. Yeah. It's like, you can't tell me what to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I actually... I literally had that judgment where I was like, you don't know. Like, what is that? I had that with healers too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't want
1: my healer to have like an Instagram really like maybe a little bit, but nothing. No, you know what no, I mean? No like things like that. 100%. And,
0: I don't want my, my husband or man to have make reels. I don't want my I want an elder working reels. on me. Uh, 100%. <gasps> but you know what's funny is it, this is why I have this judgment is because I was – so I was recently speaking at this event. I was talking to someone there, and I was saying how I feel judged when I go to things because people yep. – I was at this thing that was very granola, very, like, older crowd, whatever, and I feel judged. Like, I'm like – I feel like I am look so whatever. Young, inexperienced, da-da-da-da-da, Young, inexperienced, like, blonde. Sure. Boobs. Like bimbo. Whatever, bimbo, idiot, loser, fake. <laughs> Ah, trash, ah. whatever. And I just, I fe- so I feel bad about myself. Sure. So then I'm obviously looking at other people. I'm like, oh, you know, yes, blah, blah, blah. I'm yes. not doing this a lot, but I'm noticing when I'm feeling like I don't look the part, mm-hmm. I think. But it's funny because if I was in a state of like being at like a certain event that's like a different demographic, I'd be like, oh, I feel like I look the part. Yeah. So I feel confident in this. But because I'm in such different spaces all the time of like a marketing event or like, you know, VidCon or whatever, like Wonderlust, you're just like, I feel like, yeah, it's like kind of like okay, how can I be myself and feel confident about mm-hmm. who I am, mm-hmm. even though the audience is changing? Absolutely. Well, I think that's like
1: the best practice. Yeah. For you. And I feel like you did a really good job, like with the wanderlust. Yeah, it was good. From what you told me, it was me a really open,
0: cool crowd. Like they were all. It was beautiful. A lot of them were a lot older. They were probably forty-five and up, and so it was interesting because most of them were like, "I wish I found this work mm-hmm. earlier," and "I wish I could be doing this work earlier." And so that was really powerful to see. But it was funny. This is the thing. This is my thought around that. So a lot of the older people in that generation are like, I wish I found the work earlier. And theirs is what I perceive a true desire for healing because they've been in pain most of their lives. They've been really unhappy most of their lives. What's happening now is there's like Mm 20-year-olds who are finding the work at that age, Mm -hmm. but they're not actually metabolizing it and doing it. They're actually just using it for like Instagram or ways to further identify themselves. Mm -hmm. So the 20-year-old or the younger person is like, Okay. I read about avoidant attachment style. I'm avoidant attachment style. This is my identity. This is how I move through the world. Da da, da, da. And like not actually like the true egoless desire to heal or be seen or be held. And it was really beautiful because I could feel that with all of them that like that yearning to love themselves and that yearning to like feel peace in their mind and body. And I just don't think that the younger, the younger gen is. Spirituality is the new cigarettes, guys. It's the new cigs. <laughs> I don't feel like
1: they're using it no, always I, I for agree. the right reason. I completely agree. And, you know, to think about even like our parents, like when my mom finds a little something. Yes. That, she's in like, therapy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's in therapy. She does Reiki. Like, amazing. So when she finds things like that, it's almost like this childlike innocence with which she approaches it and like. Experiences it. She's like, "Wow, I really felt, you know, whether it's like a difference or like I felt more like relaxed in my body or whatever it was." And to your point, like spirituality has become such a like this token of like, "Oh, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm doing more of this." And like you said about the identity thing, and I don't know. It makes me. It's just a little frustrating. I think when like you come into the space and. I feel like we have really good intentions whenever right we explore those things and or provide them as a resource for people. And it just kind of loses its yeah. 100%. power a little bit, 100%. right? But I think those are really good reminders, those moments where like people are truly there with just the intention to feel better, to, mm-hmm. to heal that part of them without the ego. 100%.
0: Yeah, I've had to be with the part of me that believes that I have to be a narcissist to be successful, mm. like all week, like going... Doing all these things, being in these spaces, it's like you see people that are so... I meet and are around people that are so successful that are, like, narcissists. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, that's what I have to do. You know, because that's that little girl in me that was around narcissists, with narcissists, has been in relationship with narcissists. That's like, okay, this is... They have the power Mm -hmm. because they have the power over me because I'm giving them the power. But, like, that's what I have to do to be successful or that's what I have to do to be seen or whatever it is. But I have to remember that, like, I have... I perceive that I have, you know, who knows, but I believe I have the true intention of now in this moment being in service. And I do, I was telling this to my New York boyfriend this week. I was like, you know, before when we started, I did this for us. Like I did it for me, the podcast, like anything that we're doing, I did for me. And I never said that I did it for anyone else. Like Mm -hmm. I've always said that it was for me and to heal and understand and grow. And now I feel like I'm finally on the other side of now I know why I'm here to serve And I knew I was in service before by being myself and by doing what we did, but now I'm like, oh, I feel like I have overflow and I feel like I can finally like give in a way that feels really nice rather than like, yeah, it just feels really nice. Yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, especially in those early years, it was us also, this work was healing for us. Yes. You know, in so many ways. Yes. Even though we were serving, I don't know if we necessarily had that like overflow feeling. 100%. And it's like you can only overflow if you are coming from a really centered, grounded place, yes. you know, where you're able to identify like when you need to fill your own cup first, like just really being in that place that giving doesn't feel like it's taking energy from you. Yes. It feels like it's giving energy to you. Yes.
0: A so. hundred percent. Because before I would have been doing it, I think sometimes people come in with saying they want to do something. But they're giving for their own benefit. You know, it's like, I want to help people. It's like, because you want to be seen by more people. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. kind of that. So it's always checking in. But for today, in our conversation with Sarah, it was just, yeah, it was just a pleasure. It's really self responsibility. It's really being able to do your own work. It's about accepting hard truths, it's about discovering yourself and really using that to change your life and to be something. I love the part of self-discovery of understanding who you are because I feel like so many people struggle with that. Mm. I think that's one of the reasons why we're here is to understand who we are. But you can get It's On Me. It's available now wherever books are sold. And I think you're really, really going to like it. Again, it's Sarah Kubrick. You can find her on Instagram at millennial.therapist.
1: And if anyone's thinking about starting therapy, it's, I think, an investment that both of us have made for years now that we will never, ever regret yeah. and probably continue in some capacity for a very long time. I feel like therapy has been just, we were talking last night at this friendship event about how like your friends can't be everything for you. yeah. And I think therapy has really provided this container where like, I'm not going to dump everything on my friends, expecting them to give me the answers, support me in every which way. I think we do that in some capacity, but like therapy has really been a place where I can both dump, but also be given very, very tangible things to reflect on. And kind of pull the thread on that I think only a therapist can support you yeah. with.
0: Yeah. Therapy is huge. So this is your this is your sign. Enjoy this episode. Thank you for being a part of our community. Subscribe to Almost 30. Subscribe to Morning Microdose, our daily dose of almost 30. Inspiration, insight, laughter. It is so powerful. I hear so much about Morning Microdose all the time. Almost30.com for all of our partner information, information about the show. You can find me on Instagram at it's Krista. It's I-T-S-K-R-I-S-T-A. And I'm at Lindsay Simsek, S-I-M-C-I-K. We
1: love you guys. Enjoy. Bye. I am juggling quite a bit lately. I have a new baby, um, six months in and, uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And, um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health therapy y'all I don't know I just I don't know what I did before therapy to be completely honest with you I think I was kind of a mess but you know found it when I was meant to but I have been going to therapy for about six years now which is so crazy so crazy but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can I feel like it has totally totally made my relationships better That's h-e-l-p.com slash almost30.
0: Okay, what is that feeling? I think the feeling of me being over, being me, being, being with me, I think there's the part of me that's so used to being focused on others. Actually, that's probably a lot of it. Spending my life being focused on others. So the feeling of when I focus on myself feels wrong or uncomfortable. I think there's that. Mm. And then I do feel like there's this idea Or there's this like belief that in my world, in my space of what I do, being in wellness, spirituality, whatever, living in Los Angeles, being a white woman and just like kind of cruising around, doing whatever you want, like a privilege where you're like, oh. And there's kind of the thought where I'm like, I know I have an impact on the world and what I do. I'm so grateful that I can bring on amazing people like you. We can... Help people. But then there's kind of the thought in my mind where I'm like, Am I really doing? I'm like, Am I- I'm not boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not working in a hospital. I'm not. And so there's that story that I have where I'm like, Does this really matter? And it I does. think it's because I enjoy it and love it. There's the thought that it doesn't matter
2: because of that. Do you know what I mean? I think when you love your work so much and it doesn't feel like work, sometimes you yes. think you're not working. Yes. Even though you are. Do you feel like that when you're with people? Sometimes, yeah. And I think because my hobbies are so around my work, like I love philosophy. Yeah. I love psychology. So it's like, I'm trying so hard not to read that when I'm yes. <laughs> yes. free time, you know? And I had to you're be like, like give like, me the Twilight series. Yeah, yeah. I had to be like, this is not your personality. Like, yeah. you cannot do yes. that <laughs> And I think it's like, when it's so aligned with who you are, it makes you good at your job. Yeah. But I also think the lines are so blurred yes so for people listening you know i think a lot of them are trying to
0: find that thing that makes them feel like they're doing something with purpose or makes them feel like they're here for a reason Mm -hmm. what do you say to people that have that belief or that desire like how do you think people should think about that feeling or approach their life if they're feeling like their life doesn't have a lot of meaning in this moment
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's such a painful space to be in and we don't talk about it enough. And I think when you wake up one day and you go, yeah, that's really scary because I think when you don't have meaning, you have meaninglessness and that's like a void. Yeah. And I think to myself, I believe, I guess, as an existentialist that you create, your. I think there's a lot of people out there that believe you find it and that's okay. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of a different understanding of the situation. I don't think it's something that is predestined. I don't think it's something that has been given to you and then you have the job of finding it and then accepting it and then living it. I think you have the job and the task of creating it. Mm -hmm. And I think what is meaningful to you now might not be meaningful to you in 10 years. I think so many of us think of meaning as like the end goal and something that will forever stay the same. Kind of like our sense of self. We Mm -hmm. think like you figure out who you are and then die that version. Mm -hmm. And I don't and I think the two are really closely connected in terms of like as you change so will your meaning because your meaning will reflect who you are. And so if right now you're really struggling to find your meaning, a good place to look is like do you know who you are in this? And if you don't, maybe that's one of the reasons why you're really struggling and I think... You know, we always think of meaning as like the catalyst, the why you live, why you do things. And I believe that that's true. But I also think meaning is a result of how you've lived your life.
0: Mm -hmm. So it
2: goes both ways. Mm -hmm. I think you do a bunch of meaningful things every day, you're going to look back and have a very meaningful life. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I think about my
0: path and as a codependent that didn't realize I was codependent until later in life. I feel like I was searching for my meaning and that is just, I'm kind of figuring out things in life in that codependent frame because it's like, I'm looking for something outside of myself all the time, like always looking outside. So it's like, what are other ways in which I've looked outside myself for meaning or for purpose or for all these things? And it is and was that journey for me where I felt like I wanted my life to have purpose. I wanted to have meaning. I wanted to have impact. I wanted to do something that mattered. But I didn't know what that was and I didn't really know how to, how to figure that out. And I see oftentimes in our community, which is mostly women, a lot of the women want to make an impact and want to do something with their lives of meaning that feels meaningful to them. But what I see in them and most likely what I did myself was like them wanting to feel like they're having impact and meaning by doing something that impacts other people, which is really beautiful. But then it becomes externally focused and not like what feels really good for me. Mm. and they'll be like oh i want to empower women or i want to help people do this so what do you how do you think about that kind of thing because it's obviously a really beautiful and altruistic for people to have the desire to help people and impact people but oftentimes it can be for the wrong reasons
2: yeah absolutely i find it fascinating because whenever i ask people what gives them meaning it's often service yeah right like and i i think that's that's fascinating it's when they feel like they're creating impacting other individuals and I'm not surprised by that we're social creatures but I think what you how you choose to impact should be in alignment with who you are rather than what you think the community expects and wants. I think we all have a really unique way to contribute because we're all very different and what we're seeing is that we're all trying to contribute the same way Because for some reason, we're like, this is a good way to contribute. And this is a good way to live your life. And this is the wrong way to live your life. And I think we've limited each other in the way that we express, create, impact by having the right and the wrongs. And I think a lot of women are trying their absolute best. I just don't know if a lot of us have learned to go like, who am I? What meaning aligns with me? Mm -hmm. And how can I live my most authentic self through a meaningful act
0: mm-hmm. because
2: then all of a sudden we're like, it's meaningful only for others. It's like, no, no, for it to be meaningful, it also has to remain meaningful for you. Yes. I think that's the biggest thing is like what I realized in finding almost
0: 30 or finding what we do is it's like, I actually only did this for me. Mm-hmm. I only did this, you know, like obviously I had Lindsay, who's my best friend and co host. What we were doing was only for me. Our connection obviously was so meaningful, but it's like, I didn't do it because I thought people were going to listen or anything else. And it taught me so much about the process of finding purpose should be something that you do for you so it's sustainable. And so that, it
2: you know what I mean? I love that. Yeah. Yesterday I was doing an event and someone asked like, what's your relationship with Instagram or a platform? And I said, I came. Now give me tips on my I brand. Give me tips on my <laughs> brand. No. And I was like, you know, I realized maybe like a year or two ago that if I stopped enjoying it, I would stop doing not because I think it's valuable and I think it's it advocates for mental health and I think it impacts people in a positive yeah. way. But I have to stop doing it if it does nothing for me. If it stops being meaningful for me, even if it's something that other people derive meaning from, I can no longer do it without compromising myself. And so that sounded very selfish potentially, but I was like, no, like it has to be a two-way street. It has to be meaningful for me. And when I think about social media, it's like, When I write content now, it's like, I enjoy the content. If I don't enjoy the content, I'm going to stop writing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just really being aggressively protective of my meaning. Otherwise, I just don't, I think purely being alive without existing is so sad. Mm -hmm. And I refuse to to live that way. Mm -hmm. I think so many of us are observing life and performing life. We're not living. And we're so disconnected from ourselves and from each other as a consequence and from our meaning. And I just, you know, the concept of self-loss is something that I've been kind of exploring and something that I lived through. And that was the most horrifying time of my life. And that was an existential threat. Physically, I was fine, but I felt like I was dying. I felt like I was drowning. And that, to me, is how I see a lot of people live and how we've normalized our society to function. Mm Mm-hmm. How old were you during that time? Twenty four? Twenty three. Yeah. That was the divorce period? Yeah. Pre divorce. Pre divorce. I thought I was doing the right thing, being married. Hey, I just got divorced. Stuff. All the real Gs are divorced. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> All the yeah. real
0: G's are fucking divorced. Everyone I know is like, that's cool. I'm like, you're fucking divorced. I'm like, "Yeah, first well, of all, we know what I, it's had like. had to get it
2: down. But I was one of the first, like, really, I'm, I When so you're young. 24, oh, what do you mean? And people were like, first of all, most people, people, are like, <laughs> people are not married. People like, "Were you going <laughs> never going to find anybody? And you're like, I don't know. People, it's too late. People are like, yeah, no. But seriously, I thought I was like, I'm a divorcee oh, at 24. Well, I'm going to be single forever. Oh like, it was legit. Like it's a scarlet letter. Yeah. I was like untouchable i'm done i'm done they they know know i'm not a virgin it's over (laughs) yeah and everyone's gonna be like there's so much bag like i genuinely was like i think i might die alone but the fact that i was still willing to do that yes
0: okay so walk us through that period because i think and i can even relate i think i was in 25 when i felt like i was like i want to die like i was like it was very like i was like yeah
2: death is welcome
0: you know just being that deep but so you are living the life that you thought everyone would want you to live.
2: Oh, I like that doing was praised. Say more. So like I was in grad school. I was doing very well in undergrad. Academically, I you know, exceeded people's expectations. I was the non-problematic child, right? I always had very nice boyfriends that my parents liked. I graduated. I got married. I was contributing to my society. I was doing the shoulds. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing all the right things. And I think people weren't concerned because they were blinded by... The success of it. I, I don't totally. want to use that word, but it's kind of like, wow, like your daughter has it together. She never went through her rebellion phase, like like rebellious phase. She mm. didn't like she's just really on it. Like, great. Right. So I was 24 years old and I came to L.A. with my sister actually on like a girl's trip. And sometimes I think when we're in it, we don't understand we're in it. And so I had like a week part where I think I got like a glimpse and glimpse of maybe myself. And we were packing up. To go back home, I remember just starting not to feel very well. I was like, I felt so heavy. I felt nauseous. I was really like dread, pure dread. Like my life is ending. I'm going back home, which is so dramatic after a vacation. Sunday's (laughs) scary. Yeah, Sunday's scary. And I always (laughs) feel like if you need a vacation from your life, you need to figure something out with your life, right? Like you shouldn't need a full vacation from your life. It's okay to take a vacation, but... And so I remember we got on the flight and it was so funny how my body responded. I got on a flight, I was putting on my seatbelt, I clicked and all of a sudden like as it clicked the plane like started caving in and I started sweating and then my vision went blurry and I just remember like low-key yelling like I need to get off the flight. Wow. I'm a very well-behaved person so that was really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for me because I was like I'm making a spectacle like Mm -hmm, and I remember like pushing people out of the way, like getting off the flight. And then the paramedics eventually came and I started like I lost ability of my arms. They went into a paralysis and then I started losing function of my speech and I couldn't talk. Like it was just coming out in groans and I was like, am I having a stroke? Am Mm -hmm. I dying? And I think that moment of clarity, I think when you're like, I have nothing left to lose. I think it was the moment of like, I'm about to die, but have I lived? And did I, can I look back now on my life and be like, well done, Sarah? The answer was no. And I just, I, that desire to live was so strong in that moment. Anyways, the paramedics came. They're like, you're having a severe panic attack. They were super chill about it. I was insulted. I was like, oh my God. My no, life is me. like oh my <laughs> flashing oh again. And they were just like, you'll be fine blowing this bag. Yeah. And I was like, and that's kind of how my life started to unravel. I think I would have pushed for years unless my body stepped in. Like years, I, I think I would have still lived the exact same life right now, even though I didn't want it. And it wasn't mine, and I wasn't myself, and I would have just done it. And I think that that's such a fascinating thing. And it, you know, I kept having panic attacks for like two years after that. It's not like I had one. I was like, and now I'm in life. <laughs> then I quit everything and, and I moved it. to Bali. Yeah. And like... started my Instagram, and here I am. <laughs> now I feel <laughs> peace. Yeah, no, peace. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't that at all. It was like the start of a shit show. That's
0: the whole thing. Yeah, it's... Okay, so the relationship with the body, what do you think is happening then? Because the mind is like, would you say the mind is consciously saying one thing, and -hmm. then the body is picking up on a subconscious conversation? Or why would your body, and for anyone that's listening, why would their body have a reaction that is unpleasant
2: to what their mind wants? Of course. I think what we think of the mind and the body as like two things are pinned against each other. Yeah, true. Or we think that we are more our mind than our body. Most of us think of our body as like a property or or a tool or a vessel rather than who you are. And I think my mind in retrospect, it's like I was in such deep denial. But that doesn't mean I didn't know the truth. And my body very much knew the truth. And I think my body also knew how stubborn and strong-willed I was, and it it wasn't in my favor in this context. And I think I used to be so scared of my body. I used to be like, oh.
0: mm-hmm. she like
2: she shows up, and I remember kind of wanting to die when I had panic attacks. Just being like, I needed to end. And I thought to myself, what if they never stop? I like I I don't know how to exist like this, and it was so horrible, and. I think my body I, I it got worse my relationship with it got worse and the thing is my body tried to communicate with me prior to that and I ignored it. I'm like crying. Yeah. I'm,
0: sorry. <laughs> I'm crying cuz I just feel so bad for our bodies. So bad. It just makes me so sad.
2: And I think it just went like louder and louder. Yeah. Right now in retrospect I'm like I remember my hands tingling once. <laughs> Your body's communicating know, with us. I know. It's so sad. They it's, try so hard. They try so hard and we're it's such crazy. assholes. And he has so much wisdom and so much love and so yeah. much beauty. And I didn't see it and I couldn't recognize it because yeah. it, I felt like he was hurting me. And now I go, oh, my God, you saved my life. Yes. And that's a completely different experience of my body that I have now. And I think my body tried to communicate. And the thing I tell people is like, if you ignore it, gonna get louder because mm. your body's not gonna let you die yeah your body's not gonna let you have a shitty existence that you do not want it's gonna fight for you and I think that's what happened although I didn't recognize that it was coming from a place of love or what the messaging was right away it actually made my relationship with my body much worse for a long time until I was like oh that was your love letter wow because it could be something where you're like I don't trust you I didn't trust it because I was like I can't go in public I always knew where the hospital was. I always knew where the exit. I always knew where the stairwell was. Like, I had a hard time leaving my room. Like, I was, you know, I was like in grad school. I remember blacking out one time during like a meeting, like for a couple seconds, and no one noticed. And I, and then I had, and I, I had someone come up to me after the meeting, and it was like a schoolmate, and she's like, "You're so insightful." <laughs> no, no, no. She's like, she's like. You know, you just have it so together. And she's like, I really, I know this sounds weird, but I hope when I grow up, I become like you. Because she was kind of making a joke. And I was like, that is so horrifying to me. Like, And I almost felt crazy because I was like, we're having such different experiences with my own reality. And I was like, going to my car, Googling my symptoms, and then being scared to drive because I was like, what if I pass out while I'm driving home? And their takeaway was like Sarah contributed to this discussion in a very intelligent and eloquent way. And I was like, I'm so dissociated. Mm -hmm. I am so not even here. And the fact that you're still honoring my mind, but you're not aware of what's happening to my body. It's also we do this to each other as well. We're not like, you know, we just focus on the mind and not the body. And so, of course, we grow up just focusing on.
0: Yeah, it's like I'm sure in in your field. And then also for women, for you to be so smart and clear. And even I mean, I'm
2: not like being like, I'm so smart, but it's but, like the thing that but people in that paid moment attention to her. To, yeah, you know what to I mean? her. For her yeah. It was
0: like, or you're not emotional or because you're blacked out. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, you're so cognitive. You know, like, <laughs> like,
2: you're like, <laughs> no, but I was so disconnected from my emotions as well. I, I was, I'm sure. No doubt. Th- sis. There's none of that. I, no, no You're doubt. like, you're not telling me. I <laughs> I, know, that. Like, I know the
0: vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, my tears are just like that. That's an abusive relationship. That it's just like punish. Like it's it's like no attention is paid to the body until it's you're doing something wrong. You are bad. You are not fitting into this thing. You don't you are look not, the way. You don't I look want- the way I want you to look. And also. How I want you to look is always going to change. It's never going to be enough. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just
2: like we take and take and take and take and take from the body. And it's like, how dare you grow old? It's like, that is literally the most precious gift your body can give you is to age. And we get so mad at it for doing something that it's Mm -hmm. meant to do. But I love this analogy of like an abusive relationship. I, I do think most of us have a very abusive relationship with our body. But then when you flip it, if you are not aware of that, for example, for me, I remember the messaging of like, love your body. And I was like, but my body hurts. Why are you telling me to love someone who hurts? That's interesting. And that was really hard for me to like, I couldn't love my body until I realized what the purpose and the function and what my and who my body was. Because otherwise, what we're asking people to do is to love someone who they believe is hurting them, failing them. And that's abusive as well it would be like saying like love your husband harder even though you're scared of him just love him harder imagine it's horrifying so you were triggered by someone saying to love your body
0: because you were like this thing is betrayed me in a way yeah or this thing has caused me pain and so what was your step to because i'm and it's taking me long to process because i'm like was it Cognitively, you had to understand what was your body was doing or you had to have like a felt sense or there was like a connection with your body like what was the journey for all you? of it
2: honestly, I think I had to deconstruct some beliefs about my body. how'd you do that as in being well therapy, and That's what were the beliefs? It was like, my body is a property. My body is not for me. My body is a tool. My body is scary. My body can overpower me. My body should never be sexual. Mm. My body, it's like all the weird things that women have. It's like, be desirable, but don't be too sexual. Mm. And, you know, be pretty, but not attractive enough that it's a threat to you. Mm. And like, there's so much messaging. And I was like, yeah, no wonder I don't have a very safe relationship with my body. And I think I had to start first acknowledging what my beliefs were. And then after that came the deconstruction, the reconstruction work. I also think that I'm very HSB, so like super highly sensitive. Same. And Obviously. the fact that I was numbing my body and my emotions is like mind-blowing because that's such a big part of literally who I am. Mm. And I completely numbed it, and I think what I had to – to kind of allow myself to do is just feel it all and trust myself that I'll be able to handle it. So it was like allowing my body to feel things instead of being like, how did this massive bruise get here? Hmm. Like, I don't remember. And it's like, how did you not remember, like, slamming into it? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yes. But that's because I was focused on something else. Totally. And it's like, no. And so I think it was like a slow return to my body. And that was a cognitive action, but also very much like, I'm going to feel you. I'm going to pay attention to what you're saying. I'm going to allow you to be part of the important conversations. And even though, like, you know, there's instances where I was like, I'm going to, I remember for a moment, I was like, I want to make my marriage work. I did that too. And my body would freak out every time I was in the same. And it was like, okay, so let's talk. I I had to stop ignoring it. I was like, what do you want to say to me? Is really fascinating. So I think it was just like allowing it to be part of the conversation. This is kind of out there, but do you think the body
0: has its own consciousness, or do you think it's like tuning into the same consciousness that our mind and soul are a part of?
2: That's a great question. I'm not sure. I think that our body, what we forget is, has experienced every single thing you experience. I know it's our best friend for real, for real. But it was also there. Like, how do you I think know. you experience this without your Dude, body? I know. Like. You, your body was literally there, and mm-hmm. your body, as we know, keeps the score. Yes, and, yes. <laughs> and things A quote are, that I it, always say, just me only: the body keeps the score. Exactly, <laughs> and it's and it's like it's stored. Everything you do is stored in your body, and so for me, I don't think they have to be two separate entities. I think they're probably one. I just think that we forget that connection. Mm-hmm. I know so many women of our community struggle with body and.
0: I am I am you. You and, are me. And it's so interesting, too, just being in the work that I do, having access to amazing people like you and some of the most successful women in the game, And even at that level, still struggle with body. Like, billionaires. It's like, there's no world where it doesn't affect women. And it's like, never ceases to amaze me. Even, we don't even need to talk about it, but the ozempic thing i know so many women that are so processed so aware so deep so and it's not even a judgment are using tools for weight loss because they perceive that to, you know it's just it doesn't get by any of us no. like the relationship how challenging it is with the body
2: but i think you know if we look at the narrative uh, in our society yeah like that's our worth yeah oh yeah Like, and that sounds so sad. No, it's But that's what it is. And I I think there's also a component of, like, people are scared to age. And people are scared to meet their mortality. Mm -hmm. And I think that also feeds into why we're trying to stop all of it. And so, yes, there is society. And then there's also our own stuff coming up when we're starting to see the decay, kind of. And that's a horrifying thing. But that's because a lot of us don't process or think about death. Or not comfortable with the concept of death. So I do think that, like, all of that stuff is playing into it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think I'm, like, too comfortable with it. But it's, like, <laughs> I'm, like...
2: Come at Sounds me. Sounds fun. <laughs> no, <it's> a- <laughs> yeah.
0: But then it's, I think with death, though, it's, like, when you... Because I think about this, my, my dad is really sick. And it's, like, you know, you're cool about it. Like, I'm cool about it. And then if you were really push comes to shove, like, against the wall. And it was, like, you have the choice to do what you need to you know to pass it would be so different because it's like oh the real thing but i do feel like as a society and culture we are afraid of death okay i need to introduce
1: you to a revolutionary new app um superhuman It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday, I did a pep talk uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just, I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So. off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon.
0: There was something you said earlier that I want to talk about, because I think there's a lot of women in our community People in our community that identify as highly sensitive. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me that someone that's a therapist would be highly sensitive. Mm-hmm. But what was your journey with understanding what that meant or that – not like yeah. a label, but like that,
2: yeah. that understanding? So I've been told I was sensitive my entire life. It was never a compliment. I was going to say. Yeah. And so I think that's the part of me that I tried to – Kill? Same. Really, which is so funny because I think that is – one of my greatest strengths now but I think because it was one of the only complaints I was receiving and again not that I was perfect but I was overachieving as a way to cope with everything and you know given my upbringing and all the trauma in my childhood I was like okay I will be non-problematic and if this is the one part you don't like gone like I'm me too like you know it's like I'm gonna try I'm gonna try my best to get rid of it and I think when this floodgates opened, it all poured out at once. And I think I was like drowning in all the emotion and all the sensory stuff. And I remember my therapist being like, you're going to have a really hard time living through life until you find beauty in all your suffering. And I was like, yeah, 100%. I was like, man, must must be sweet. Nice. yeah, it must okay. be nice. You've never been dumped, You've bitch. never been dumped, <laughs> yeah. You never got on a bad date, okay? (laughs) Honestly, I don't even fit in my double zeros anymore, Yeah, anymore. (laughs) And so, yeah, like, But and then I remember just being like, okay, I don't want to hear this right now. It feels insensitive, but it wasn't. And I think it was, like, changing my relationship to my discomfort Mm -hmm. and allowing, I think it was that, like, I'm going to let it wash over me. I've tried everything else. Nothing else has worked. Nothing else has had the results I want. I'm just going to let it overwhelm me. And he did for like years. Until then, I started to be like, okay, emotions are messengers. Okay, how do I choose to respond to them? Okay, how am I better off with them? So changing that narrative when it comes to my emotions as well, that was really important. It was, you know, the work I had to do with my body kind of was mirrored with the work I had to do with my emotions. And then I realized like, okay, I am like intuitive. Okay, I like I my sensitivity is really benefiting my work. My sensitivity is benefiting the people around me. And I think there has to be an ownership. And like, it's on me, that title, that's because I so deeply believe in responsibility and ownership. And it was like, I had to go, I am proud of the fact I'm sensitive, even if you hate it. And it was almost like an act of rebellion. Like I've never had a rebellious phase. And I feel like that was my act of rebellion. Of like, you don't like it, too bad. And I think just taking that ownership felt so... Delicious. (laughs) Delicious. <laughs> well,
0: it makes so much sense if that was the thing that your parents didn't like about you, so you decided to squash your rebellion. Would then be like,
2: yeah, I mean, it's the lamest rebellion. I, love it. <laughs> I was like, bitch, you've not had a I real get... rebel phase. I was like, unless you've been arrested. And I'm like, and now I feel my emotions. i <laughs> <laughs> like, look at me crying. Crying. And by the way, like my parents are so cool with it. I just think that they come from of we of lived course. through wars, and it's like they had a different perspective and you know it's hard as a parent to watch your child suffer in general i think a lot of parents do it accidentally where they're like trying to make the child get over their emotion as a way to like comfort them but really what they're doing is trying to self-soothe because they can't handle their child being in pain so they're like it's fine it doesn't matter and so you know i've had friends and parents talk about my sensitivity and now i laugh and i'm like you're like this is me
0: this is me there was one part in the book where you talked about the war and it was like something you said was really profound that actually reminded me of how I kind of have been with some of my trauma where you basically said something about not wanting to like even chapter four I think
2: yeah chapter four thank you correct no 100% where
0: it's like you didn't even want to recognize that it
2: was true or something I I didn't know I was traumatized like I didn't know that I lived through trauma and the reason being and my therapist had to tell me I think this is my whole
0: sexual trauma experience where I'm just like meh Let's see if it's chapter four. Is it? Chapter four. It's like I wrote it. (laughs) honestly. Okay. So basically she says, for a long time, I didn't want to admit to myself that these experiences fundamentally changed me. Such a realization felt like a defeat. I didn't want to give the enforcers of war anything more than the many lives they had already taken, but the truth always comes out eventually, doesn't it? Yeah. Say more.
2: So... I think when you're a child and you have many routes to go with it. And for me, one of them was anger of the injustice. And I think mm, it almost felt like a fuck you to whoever caused me and my family pain and being like, you can't impact me. Like that is not the power I'm giving you. And I think it came from like a good place where I was like, absolutely not. You already ruined my childhood. I'm not, I don't want to admit the fact that you're not ruining the rest of my life. Or that's kind of what that felt like. And so I think because everyone in my family survived the same thing and a lot of our communities survived the same thing, we just talk about it like it's normal. It's like, remember that time we were in a bomb shelter? Like, it's just like normal conversations. And it was so normalized that I didn't realize that it was traumatic for me and that it has impacted my life and that at a really young age, I went into self-preservation rather than self-awareness, self-expression, self-whatever, self-period. There was no self. It was like, how do I stay alive? And I lived that way till my twenties because it's really hard for your brain to go like, you're safe now, you may resume. And I just never hit that. And so I lived in the cell preservation for a really long time. And part of it was because I didn't realize I was doing it. And I think I give that like analogy of like an elephant, which is so terrible. I know. And I don't they, even want to. Yeah, we don't have to talk about that. I, but I, I, I literally like... saw the word elephant. I was like, not this fucking shit again. Yeah, because it's, it's so like smart, the
0: abuse thing with the body. Yeah, where you're just like. Uh, any, time any book or any YouTube is like, so we did a rat experiment. I'm like, fast forward, fast forward, fast no, it's forward. So sad. I can't handle it.
2: It's so sad. And, I, but you know, I also had to take responsibility for the fact that like, sometimes things happen to us that we can't control. Mm-hmm. And we have to validate that. And we have to grieve that. And we have to do all the work. And then we have to go, what? Because we have to take responsibility for how we show up afterwards. And I think that feels super unfair. And I think I was really struggling with that. It's like, why do I have to clean up the mess? Why do I now have to do the work to what was done to me as a child? You know, like that was my thinking at the time and so I think I had to go like, okay, now it's on me to change my life and figure this shit out.
0: Yeah, I'm doing I'm IFS informed and I'm in their work right now and obviously not doing level 1 but just like it's like got uh, foundations and I that's why I love it so much because it helps me to understand all those parts. Like mm. the part of you that's like This is bullshit that I've had to do that. And then the part of you that you're kind of neglecting in this scenario. And if you are in a situation where there's war or there's sexual trauma or that's like very much victim oppressor type of dynamic, then there is that part of you that's like in pain. Of course. That we often overlook. But I just thought that was so profound because I can think about that from a bigger level too with so many different scenarios where people are completely missing the point of the healing opportunity of traumatic experiences and suffering by really having that guard up or the anger or, like, I don't even want to give this person, like, the benefit or, like, the, the
2: satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, the airspace
0: yeah. of it, but, like, bypassing the self.
2: And I also think it's kind of tricky in terms of, like, you know, I think I, given the context, had a good. It's that comparison. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't have PTSD. No one in my family died. Like we we got through it and so many survivor. And so many people Mm -hmm. didn't get that same privilege or had the same experience. And so then I think for me partly was like, How can I even talk about this as a trauma? Because there's others had it worse. And I think there's a bit of that comparison for a lot of people where it's like, Okay, well I got sexually assaulted at a club, but it wasn't as bad as my friend who and it's like that is not the name of the game at all but I think that prevents us from validating our own experiences because sometimes we see the, not the blessing, the gratitude, all wrong words, but kind of like, it could have been so much worse. So I'm just going to appreciate the fact that it wasn't. And I think that there is a little part of that and the guilt that comes with that of being like, I, you know, and then I had to realize like, this still significantly impacted me oh, and yeah. the way that I lived my life. And it still kind of does, you know, and there's still things like fireworks that really trigger me that I don't like. And so, but I think that's also sometimes difficult when you're comparing suffering. And I really hope that whoever is listening, like, that's not how life works. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to acknowledge your own suffering, regardless of how you think it ranks with anyone else's.
0: Yeah, I think that's been like a newer maybe not a newer phenomenon, but it's felt like that where you're like, why is this? Why are we comparing so much? But part of our comparative society now with like social media and everything like that. But I think that's what's beautiful about therapy is the opportunity to be in a space with someone where it's like always kind of coming back to you. And you can have that person that's like, but the other person's not in the room. You know That had it worse. That did all those things. And Having that like back and forth with someone that you can really trust is just so incredibly beautiful. But in your book, you talk a lot about the self, and I would love for people to, if they don't know what that is or what that means, like, how do you explain the self?
2: Yeah, and that's a really complex yeah. topic, right? And I think the self because
0: it's their astrology, human design, and
2: there's then, just so much. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah, no, like, <laughs> and then there's like, existentialism. Yeah, so I think. This is a really unsexy answer. Let's hear it. So I'm going to say it. Yourself is a composition of your choices, the way you utilize the freedom that remains, and responsibility that you take for it. There is no self without the decisions that you made. There is no self without self expression. So you can't sit in a cave and be like, this isn't, because the self has to be expressed. And you get to look at it and go, <laughs> you know, you can think you're a certain type of person. You get put in a situation, you're like, Oh, yeah. And that is powerful. That is messaging. And it's like this cycle of expressing, observing, and then you either have the choice to change your belief about who you are or pivot with your actions. And I believe it's a constant evolution. And I think that Heidegger talks about this, but any interaction you have, and not in these words, (laughs) because he was Heidegger, but any interactions you have, they shape and mold you. You're now different than when before we started our conversation. I am. Because you, you know, like you, you had more water. Yes. You're now, I was 30 minutes older. Yes. Like you. I was stummer. You. <laughs> Less happy. Less happy. And it's like, Sarah changed your life. Yeah, <laughs> that should be the media clip. Sarah blew me away. <laughs> yeah. 30 minutes and changed clip, my life. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what he's saying is like, literally every moment you have is shaping you. And most of us just don't realize it. And I think that's where we have to take responsibility of like how we spend our time, the little decisions we make. And I think so many of us passively or what we think is passively give up on our sense of self or we compromise continually without realizing that we're compromising in our sense of self. And I don't think there's a neutral self. When you make a decision, you're either building an authentic sense of self or an inauthentic sense of self. There's no like, this was just this. And I think that's a really powerful reframe. And so I think the self is whatever you want it to be, but not conceptually. It's however you show up in the world. That is yourself. And you have the freedom, responsibility, and choice to change that at any moment. Sister liked that. Sister was nodding. Sister was nodding. Sister was like, wow, even for my little sis, that's good.
0: Even. (laughs) I I (laughs) like, normally I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So I'm obsessed with this. So. If we were to have someone, as an example, just to get tactical, if we were to have someone walk through their day, let's walk through like an example person's day of the decisions that an example person would make in how each of those would lead to their more authentic self and their less authentic self.
2: Or self-loss, eventually. Self-loss, yes. Which, they are different. When I think of lack of authenticity, I think of like you're swimming underwater and you're like, it's deep and dark in here, but you know where the surface is and you're like at any moment. I'll swim back and I'll get a breath of air to authenticity. And I'll go, because life happens in authenticity. And so you're like, I'll hold my breath, but I know how to emerge back and how to maintain my life. Self-loss is when you're so deep and it's like a riptide and you're getting tossed. And you're like, I don't know which direction to swim in. I have no idea where my next breath is going to come from. And that's why it's so threatening. And so I think it's just a deeper, more chronic, more painful, more prolonged form, you know, inauthenticity is like saying yes when you want to say no. You do that enough, you're not going to know when you want to say yes or no. That's self-loss. I think a lot of people in our community, it's like, I
0: think, firstly, when you prompt someone with a question right away, they immediately kind of don't know. Yeah. Because I think it takes a little bit for people to process. But I do think people probably say that they don't even really know what feels authentic to them and what doesn't.
2: And I wouldn't blame them because I think society is constantly trying to tell you what feels authentic, what doesn't. And I think most people don't even know what that sensation of like at home or alliance or alignment actually feels like. And so I think, I don't know if you saw my Julia Roberts example in the book, Runaway Bride. Oh, yeah. And I loved that example because for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, Julia Roberts, her character Maggie was known for running away at the altar. And a reporter heard about her, went to her small town and was like, I'm going to investigate like what is happening? Why is this constant? Why is she constantly running away? So he was interviewing her and at the same time he was interviewing all her exes. And one of the questions that he would ask them would be like, what were Maggie's favorite eggs? One guy was like boiled. The other guy's like scrambled. The other guy was like, sunny side up. And he was so confused and he just kind of kept writing it down. And then he'd be like, well, what are your favorite eggs? And so the man would be like, boiled, scrambled, sunny side up. And they have this interaction in a parking lot where he is yelling and he goes, you are so lost that you don't even know what kind of eggs you like. She's like, that's just called changing my mind. And he goes, no, that's called not having a mind of your own. And then there's this scene where she makes like 12 different types of eggs, sits there and just starts tasting. them. And I think that that's the point. You might not know. You're going to have to do trial and error to figure out, to taste, to go, this feels good. This feels right. This is who I envision myself to be. And these actions reflect who I envision myself to be. And I think it's like a bit of a sensation of coming home to yourself feeling that sense of fulfillment. And I think it's not just going to happen because you're journaling. Unfortunately, I think it's going to happen because you're going to try things, you're going to fail at things. But the whole point is to be discerning, to try something, go, does it fit or doesn't fit? It's not just about doing things. It's about going, does it align? Does it not align? This one, maybe, I don't know yet. And that's okay No one's asking you to figure it out immediately. It's building a relationship with yourself. If you think about you and a long-term relationship, you didn't expect to have that degree of vulnerability and intimacy and knowing immediately. That would have been absurd. And I think it's the same thing with your bodies and your mind and your emotions. Give it time. Trial and error is part of it. Yeah, I do think people want the quick
0: feeling the quick fix the quick answer the quick and the thing with when you're in your authenticity and I call it true essence it's like it's felt sense and it's sometimes I don't really even know until after Mm. like I'll come home and I'm like oh that was it Mm -hmm. like I was whether I'm out with friends or by myself or in nature like I, I can feel it definitely when I'm in nature but it's sometimes that if you're trying and efforting for it it's it's harder than if you're creating opportunities with people with a relaxed nervous system or comfort in your body or whatever. And it's like creating the foundation for the self to be, I think is what you're saying. And it's also like the best thing that I've found to be myself. It's like, instead of being like, who am I? What am I doing? Because especially someone that's like so sensitive, codependent, could be whatever people want me to be. It was best for me to just create the best environment for me to be myself and then just kind of like let it happen when it wanted
2: to I love that absolutely people are like why did you start traveling during that time it's a cliche and I was like because the space I had wasn't big enough for me to explore myself it was too limiting and I think connecting to art Mm -hmm. connecting to nature Mm -hmm. music music anything that moves you that evokes you that's such a nice way to figure out who you are and you know that constant like I tell people I had a client and they were, they hated the thought of like journaling or sitting with themselves. If they were not watching TV, they were on a phone with someone. There was never dead air. Like there was I never. someone like this. It's freaky to me. Yeah. It, it's so much. It's so clogged. And I was, you know, and then me being like, well, journal, don't do music. It's like horror. And mm-hmm. I was like, no. Okay. How about you watch the TV show you're going to watch anyways, but watch it from a perspective that you're truly watching. Mm-hmm. How does it make you feel? What do you notice in your body? What beliefs are coming up for you? Engage with it. So it's like anything can be a lesson to you, literally anything, as long as you engage with life. And anything can be kind of a, a sign pointing you back to you if you let it be. So I think that's really fascinating. I love the felt sense that you're talking about. It's very much a felt sense. But for me, the way that I see it is like ownership. I feel I am mine. And I think that's when I know it's like that mistake was mine. It doesn't mean I won't make mistakes. That, you know, interaction was mine. That self-expression form of self-expression was mine. And I think this like possession is so beautiful and not like possessive, but this belonging to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about that.
0: So there's an aspect of my experience where it's like, and it's razor fit. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, because there's the part of me that's like, I can leave somewhere and be like, I fucking crushed. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves me. And (laughs) then I'm like, that was my true essence. Yeah. And it's the part of me that loves people to like me. Sure. Whatever. So it's, you know, and then it's like, so there's that part can convince myself in IFS. It's like self-like parts, you know, can be a self-like part. Can tell me that that was being in my true essence but I love what you're talking about because it's like, it's something that it's more, it's just you focused.
2: It's just you focused. And, you know, I think that the more you are yourself, you'll find people and that appreciate you. And mm. maybe they won't appreciate you more. You'll feel their appreciation. Mm-hmm. I think when we don't show up as authentic and then someone likes us, we can never truly revel in it. Yeah, I- we can never truly receive it. We can never truly feel it because we know what they like is not that. And I think that when we have those moments, where we're like, I crushed it. I do think that's an amazing... And I do think people tend to focus on us more and they love it. People are attracted to authenticity. So sometimes it is razor thin, as you yeah. say. It's difficult. But I think it's about your experience of yourself in that moment, not yes. how others experienced you in that moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is. It's having pride. It's not pride, but it's like, yeah, that just like... And I think this has been my experience in the past year, because it's been a year, you know, my divorce and then family oh, stuff recent? and sickness. Yeah. January. Okay. I'm crashing.
2: Yeah. I like how we were <laughs> first founding for January. you were like, January, you're like, uh, wait, like, uh, uh, yeah, everything's okay. okay. Yeah. yeah but I'm like, <laughs> January. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, mine's been a while. Like, oh. <laughs> we we could talk about it. <laughs> I know, honestly. But it was, it was a long
0: time. It was longer than that before. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about how challenging times in this past year have just been in the most non-psychotic way, like such a gift. Because I'm like, oh my God, like this is who I am. Like when Mm -hmm. I can show up to my grandpa in hospice and just fucking hold space and like facilitate and just like be there and listen, whether it's my dad or whatever the situation is. I'm like, wow, I would not be so much of me or so proud of who I am without like the challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's just helped me reframe hard times. But I do think that it's because I'm bringing conscious awareness to it that makes it all difference. And that's what I found in so much of the work that we do or so much of the conversation. It's like, what is traumatic if you're not conscious could make you cold, you know, detached, detached, detached dissociate. Yeah. But what is traumatic if you're conscious could be something that makes you flourish and grow. So how do you see that in your work? And how do you see that, I guess, manifesting sometimes with your clients? Because a lot of the people listening do have things that are coming up that it can either bring them closer to themselves or further away.
2: Yeah. I think we need to dispel the notion that discomfort or tension. Are bad. I think in the new like, self-help movement, it's like, here are five steps to never feel pain again. <laughs> like, here are 10 steps to just be happy. I think... Although those might be super helpful tips, like I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but it's, we also need to teach people how tension and sadness and hardship are helpful and how they're okay. And look, I'm not saying go out there and seek your suffering, but I think we can create meaning out of suffering and let's put suffering and severe pain aside. Maybe that's a little different, but just tension is where you grow. Most people don't grow when there's no tension. It's just kind of human nature. And I think allowing life to lead you, teach you, provoke you, evoke certain emotions and thoughts and patterns. It It's fascinating when you look at it that way. And I think I had to learn of like, this is a gift to me. If I wasn't, there's so many moments of tension and discomfort that if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be the same person. And again, I don't want to go on like, yay, suffering. I'm not trying to imply that, but I think life comes with suffering. There is no life without suffering. And you get to choose how you use it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if it's super severe, I'm not being like, find, a, find yeah, your honest, gratitude. Like, like, not at fucking all. Like, that is not what I'm talking about. But I think overall, as, as humans, we need to be more comfortable with the reality we live in, which is life is imperfect. It's hard. And you have to find ways to cope with it or thrive in it. I love the word Provoke. I love that like –
0: and I love thinking about it too. It's like a plant, you know. It's Mm. the tension of a seed in the soil is what makes it crack and grow and like it's the whole process of growth in nature is through tension and is through contrast and is through elements that come together to cause change. And to go back to something you said a little bit earlier that I think I'm hopeful will be really helpful for people and is something that I've had to really learn and process is really recognizing and realizing that it's all about the little decisions that you're making. And especially when we're talking to the audience or to me about being your self, being your most authentic self, it's about the micro decisions. Can you say more about your experience in witnessing that in your clients? And then what are some examples for people of micro decision moments that
2: will help them become more of themselves? Yeah, I think we often think that there is, you know, you're going to make two huge decisions to shape your life. And maybe you are going to make two huge decisions. But I think what we're we're not talking about is how little decisions shape your life. And think with my work with my clients, they'll ask me questions like, do you think I should do this or that? And I said, well, both options are fine. That's really not the point. There's no wrong decision per se. But which decision will make you go, I showed up as my best self today. It's like, maybe you approach that coworker or you don't. Maybe you have that conversation with your boyfriend or you don't. And maybe neither are inherently bad or good. But I think making those decisions of like, how can I be proud of myself? How can I go, I showed up to my best ability. I showed up in a way that I can look at myself in a mirror and go, I recognize you and I respect you. And so when we think about decision making, it's I think I always try to connect with my clients to their sense of identity. And I don't know if that's always explicit. I don't always go, hey, but it's just getting them to focus on like the right decisions, the authentic decision. Mm-hmm. And I think in life, we're so like, there is the right and the wrong way and that perfect decision and that perfect timing. And I don't necessarily believe in that. I think the best decision you can make is the one that aligns with you. I'm not talking here about like hurting people, like, you know. with (laughs) So you think people should murder people? (laughs) Yeah, that aligns. No, God, no. So I just, I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone here gets that that's not what I'm saying. But So I think in my work, I try to sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly make that connection, like your decisions mold your identity. It's about showing up how you want it. Some examples
0: of micro moments instead of big decisions. Like, would you even say that we could get as small
2: as what you're going to have for breakfast? 100%. So let's say that you are, caffeine makes you jittery, nervous, or anxious. And I know people who suffer from anxiety and will have two cups of coffee, sometimes on an empty stomach. Now, you chose to shop this way. You chose to have your cup of coffee, and now you're anxious. Now, when you interact with people, you're interacting from an anxious space. That's huge impact. I don't know if you'll be able to look back and then you'll go and look back and be like, I'm an anxious person, right? And it's like you suffer from anxiety and you made a choice that heightened your anxiety, and that sucked for you. Probably sucked for the people around you as well, depending on like what the interactions were. And so I think sometimes it is as small as that because now you're anxious all day and you go home and you go, I regret that conversation. I didn't do as much as I wanted to. I Whatever, and you go, I didn't show up as my best self. And I don't blame you. You were anxious. I know what that's like. Being anxious is really scary and overwhelming. But sometimes it's those micro decisions Mm -hmm. that are like, you didn't have to lean into that part of it. And so I think sometimes it is, is like, how do you take care of your body? We know there's a gut mind connection. Are you eating things that do not work well for you, that cloud the way that you think, that make it difficult for you to, to concentrate? And so I think he can get really, really specific. I completely agree. It's like, did you put on a podcast the second you woke up and brushing your teeth? Or did you spend time alone, right? Like, I hope you're listening to almost 30. I, I hope you're not doing it as a way to avoid yourself. Totally. Yeah, that's... It's like the conscious awareness, though, too. Because I feel like when you're not conscious, you're just like,
0: podcast, TV, thing. You know, you're not like, whoa, this is how this is making me feel. This is how this is... What's going on? And I think that was my experience too. Like, even at the beginning of my journey, where yeah, I would just be like drinking and then partying and then be like, I have such bad anxiety. What's going on? And not making connections and not making, yeah, just really feeling like I was a victim to things and not seeing how like I was contributing to the chemistry of whatever was happening in my life. And I think it's beautiful that in the space that I'm in and the space that you're in, that people have more self-inquiry where they can see like, okay, coffee's making me anxious. Maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, Do you feel like people then, if they were to be, say we take the coffee example, someone that's like, okay, coffee makes me anxious, would they have to have enough self-worth to not self-sabotage? Or do you see people also just being like, yeah, it makes me anxious, but, and still doing things?
2: Yeah. I mean- I think sometimes you're like, but it tastes... Yeah. Or I have a positive association with it. My ritual. Yeah, and it's my ritual. And again, I understand how hard it is. But I think at the same time, you have to come to a place where you uh, care enough about yourself that you will prioritize your well-being. And no one can... You know, and we have rituals. I mean, I was I was talking about this the other day where it's like, you'll go on TikTok and you're like, this ritual i'll wake up i'll meditate for five minutes i'll journal i'll have matcha and by the way nothing wrong with that that's awesome that's awesome for someone who needed those things
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's like i think you know it's like the example i give sometimes is like it's like taking advil for an infection or like i mean that's a terrible example but like mm-hmm. no, <laughs> like get it you know it's like taking the wrong medicine for what you're experiencing yeah and so I think self-care is the same way. It's like listening to a podcast is fantastic. Journaling is fantastic. Matcha might be better for you than coffee. But it's like you actually have to be self-aware enough to know what you need so that you can do. Mm-hmm. It's not one size fits all. And it's not one routine that's going to last forever for you. And that's going to be great. Because people are always like, what's your routine? I'm like, you'd be horrified if you heard my routine because it's not what you think it is. And I think... And you're like, it's heavy metal. Yeah, it's heavy metal. Mod- you- <laughs> First thing in the morning. Yes. A shot. And then- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but like, I, and I think we've almost romanticized this thing and people now do it just because they think they should do it. And totally. again, it's the should. And it's like, how have we destroyed self-care? And it's someone else's. It's someone else's. And yeah. if it works for them, that's great. But you need to find what works for you. And again, it's that ownership. It's it's going like, I am worthy enough to take care of myself. This, I am a priority. And I think unless you come to that space, you're going to be more more willing to self-sabotage. You're going to be more willing to enjoy the immediate gratification, like the smell of coffee, the taste of coffee, because you're not going to really care Mm -hmm. what happens for the rest of your day. Yet I feel like in our culture, it's like because
0: when I've recognized and realized when I first moved to L.A., I was like burning myself out working full-time job doing almost 30, blah, blah, blah. So my self-care became another thing on my to-do list where it was like, I'm going to run from this appointment to this appointment to this appointment in my effort to be well. Yeah. And I was like, one time I was like 15 minutes, I was like 20 minutes late to something because I had been running from appointment to appointment. I'm like, this is not the point of it. And so I've realized that in deeper self-love and reverence that I need less self-care because I'm with myself more. You know, even in the car on the way here, I was like, okay, we're just going to be, what's up? You know, you, you need less of the This is the time in my calendar where I'm setting aside for self-care because it's like I'm running to the finish line and I have to slide into home and like this is like the last ditch care that I need for myself Mm. because I've pushed myself to the limit. Yeah. You know, and I think we've sort of with self-care, it's now become just like lists of things to do and just become more and more and more instead of like the point of it.
2: Stressful. And I always say like if your self-care goes from being a blueprint to a cage, you're doing it wrong. Like if it becomes limiting and so overstructured that you're not getting your needs met. And is that you a graphic?
0: To... Pardon? Is that a graphic on Instagram? No. 50,000 likes today. Today. <laughs> People are going to be like, yeah, it's a gauge. <laughs> Coming
2: soon. <laughs> <laughs> check check on my, my page. page <laughs> check my page for updates. i am be putting it up. But yeah, it's like it's we want so many categories and we want yeah. so many rules and tips and tricks. And I think part of that is because we're a little lazy. But I think also we just thrive in structure, which is really normal. I think we need to realize that life just does not function that way. Your sense of self is fluid, meaning is fluid, and tying in like your needs are fluid and they change. And what you need, I think the greatest skill is self-awareness and consciousness of what you're experiencing and what you want to be experiencing in the next moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the point of fluidity because it is really one of the things
0: that can get you furthest in life as mm. far as satisfaction, as far as in your relationships, in like... Your career even sometimes.
2: Career, oh, 100%. Don't be rigid
0: about what you mm. think you want. I'm writing the career chapter and I'm reading about something <laughs> called... Book coming soon. The coming soon. Yeah. I'm reading about something called, instead of saying it's a career path, a career portfolio. Have you heard about that
2: concept? Ooh, someone was just talking to me about it tell them that it's
0: yours yeah it's actually someone else's idea it's this man i forgot his name <laughs> okay I so then it. let's chill i know <laughs> literally i need to figure out like a catch your name you know what i mean yeah. so I can like take it and be like, career artists work exhibit i mean it rolls right but it is something where it's like not seeing it as much of as, as a linear path because the yeah. path is like start here end here walk this way yeah but it's like all of these different elements that make my career portfolio and when you have that fluidity and flexibility you can have more of that like freedom of just seeing life as this like mythic journey that we all get to go on where we don't really know what's going to
2: happen at how any beautiful moment. i know i know some people don't have comfort in that but i remember someone asking me if you knew exactly what would happen from now until the day you died would you want to know and i said absolutely no. not it takes out the discovery the wonder of it all and i like, I I think it's just so freaking exciting how much yes. power we have. Yes. And also just the fact that life is a little absurd. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Literally all year I've been
0: like, oh my God, like, I just have been like, whoa. Because there's with my, there's my dad stuff and then there's family stuff going on that's like stuff I never thought I would have to deal with. That's kind of stereotypical. Mm. And I'm like, this is part of my experience? Yeah. Like, I'm just like. Oh, like even my parents got divorced. I was like, this is part of my experience? Mm-hmm. I didn't ever expect it. I was like, whoa. And just, yeah, it's just, it always fascinates me. I'm like, whoa. I'm going to have this in my resume of my life
2: oh, as a like part of, of, you know what I mean? I'm just
0: like, whoa. But I just see it now as like something that helps me connect to more people.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm
0: so, you know, not to be so annoying and be like, I'm so grateful. Because <laughs> yeah. in moments I'm very much not, but it's just, there's a, power in it and even with my dad being sick like close to death I've touched the grief of it and I've gotten in the room of the grief of it and I'm like oh my god like I I can now not understand but fathom that grief and I'm like whoa that is a cellular body experience of part of your cellular existence leaving the earth that you're no—it's just—it's fucking crazy. This is—I just—I was
2: like, whoa! I can't believe I'm gonna have that experience too. You know, we we'll all have I, the death we're of our have it. Yeah, it's crazy. I think when we can't understand something, we're so scared of it. Yeah, but I think it's okay not to understand something. Yeah, and it's okay to go. This is what this something means to. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just like disengaging or not attaching to one narrative of something or one understanding of something be that death or divorce or, or who you are. And I think why you're, I mean, your capacity to do that, to look at grief in the mm-hmm. face and go, I'm going to meet you really soon, is like gives me chills. Because mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people could handle that. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the textures of grief, just
0: to say on that, my spiritual practice. Thank God for my connection to God and my soul and just like, yeah, the deeper understanding of what I perceive life to be has just helped me in so many ways. But I wanted to ask, you know, for anyone that's going to get the book and going to be really excited about it, what can we be excited about? How can they get excited about seeing and taking responsibility for yeah. themselves in their life?
2: Great question. I think because life is absurd, life can be what you want it I think responsibility is the power of possibility. And I think, you know, we all live within limitations. We all have so many limitations of, you know, things you can't change, like your height (laughs) and things that have already happened to you. But I think this is supposed to be an empowering title, not a pointy, blamey title. It's saying you can play with your own existence. You can own your own existence. And it's on you and how great. Imagine if it was on someone else and you had no say. And so I think this is saying you have all the say in the world. And I hope that that inspires people. Round two, we'll do free will. Free will. Oh, my God. (laughs) Coming soon. Do we have free
0: will? (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, it was so funny because I read the book all weekend. And then literally, like
2: last night, I was like, that's a mirror. That's a mirror. I'm so... Is that... Do people notice right away? No. And no one knew, like, from the pictures. And then people are like, oh, my God. And I was like, isn't that... Clever, <laughs> like kind of cool. from, like Batman. But like, I did love you, that. Did you? I think my publisher. Sug- I think okay. you know. Honestly, I don't remember. I was fl- floating the idea of a mirror, and I'm not sure if they suggested it to me or I to them. But I did have a conversation about the mirror. It's really cool. Literally, really, really cool. I remember being like, "Can we make it bigger?" Just because I really wanted people to be able to see at least an outline of totally. themselves. Yeah, it's like you don't want too much. Not too much. Not too <laughs> much clarity. Just no, like a like, little like filter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're like.
0: <laughs> This is your filtered self. <laughs> you look and it's like yeah. the bold glamour filter yeah, yeah, yeah. Object on TikTok. <laughs> i like,
2: what? I love, love that. This yeah, book. love this for me. <sighs> but yeah, it is a mirror. It's kind of a cheeky. It's so, it's so good. It's so Thank good. You. I read it
0: all weekend. It was amazing. I was telling you before, um, it's so different, not than what I thought because I didn't think anything about it, but it just. It has its own essence of not being self-helpy and Thank being you. very much your essence and being very much, yeah, I love the philosophy integration. I know our audience loves, philo- I think they do. I like philosophy, so I'm like, they like it. Yes. <laughs> I love philosophy, so I love that component. I loved like the little chapter beginnings with like the quotes that you had, and I just felt like it was incredible. It wasn't too much prescriptive in a way where I felt like I was far from you.
2: Oh, good. Um, yeah, it was incredible. This is such a huge compliment. I mean, like, I, you compliment me now. You're amazing. (laughs) This is one of my favorite podcasts I have ever been on. Anyone else? Do you know how this works? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I honestly think you gave me one of the greatest compliments. And I'm not joking because you're like, I felt your essence. And I, I don't know if there's a greater compliment. The only person that said that to me was my sister. where She closed the book. I remember we were in a coffee shop and she went, I just saw you. Oh, and I was like, Ugh. That makes me emotional. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's so sweet. Sissy, we no. love you. And I, I think part of that is like, yes, I wanted knowledge to be there and stuff, but this was my love letter mm-hmm. to all who feel lost. And I mean that in my dedication. Mm-hmm. And so when you said like, you feel me or see mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. to me, that's like, I'm so proud of that. And it makes me really excited. And that just means you're so smart and so yes, aware and it, so pretty. And yes. you're like, I can see it. Yes, and you're so, magnetic. It's again, crazy. best podcast ever. Yes, like just, like,
0: just, if I could redo the dedication, yeah, it would be to it you. It would be to you. <laughs> Imagine. It's a, and <laughs> yes. an m You're like, thank you for seeing me. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for seeing me.
2: In it. Acknowledgements, next print, I'll be like. <laughs> yes. that's honestly,
0: it's on me and Krista. <laughs> and Krista. <like>, yeah. <laughs>
2: I love it. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. I'm so proud of you. And I just... Thank you. Real G's on the back. People had to see some nice things. And yeah. I was really honored. I was genuinely honored. Isn't that... What a great feeling too, where people you admire are like, oh, I'm going to show up for you. Blows my mind. It's crazy. Blows my mind. And I just had a event with Diego last night. Like, it's just like... So sweet. Just the nicest human. Angel. Are you listening? Diego, <laughs> like, we love Diego, you. Diego, we love you. We <laughs> had him on,
0: last story, we had him on in literally like a year we were in... 2017 and we had him on again a few years ago and he's like can you believe we've grown up together (laughs) i was like i'm obsessed with this i am like (laughs) we've met twice and i'm I'm obsessed with this it's just (laughs) just angel yeah when you meet people in our space that are like so it's the best feeling because it doesn't always have to be that way but yeah okay guys it's on me baby out now love you guys bye thank you Thank you so much, Sarah. Again, that was Sarah Kubrick. The book is It's On Me and she's millennial.therapist on Instagram. Almost 30 podcast on Instagram. We share clips. We share memes. We share quotes. It's such a great place to be on TikTok as well. We're growing on TikTok. And you can find more about Almost 30, almost30.com. Morning Microdose is our second show. Make sure to subscribe to that.
1: We love you all. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, make sure you share this episode with a friend if you loved it. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.